Well, good morning to all of you here this morning and to those of you listening, uh, watching us, joining us from Highland Park and Crossroads and particularly the O1. You are my homies. Um, <clears throat> a number of years ago, I, I took a team. I take, take a team every, uh, usually, usually every year to this missions conference. It's mostly for college students. I take a team of juniors and seniors down in Waco, Texas. And a number of years ago, I took this team down and they broke us into some breakout sessions and uh, one of the sessions uh, that they randomly divided us up into was called Power Encounters, and me and f- like four other uh, students were in this session, and I was really intrigued by this, and I actually knew the guy that was going to be speaking. We had been involved in a, <clears throat> in a church prior to that together, and I'd, I knew kind of maybe what was coming, and sure enough, he goes out and starts talking about how sometimes uh, God will give people words for them, for another person, to share with someone as a means of reaching out to them with the gospel of Jesus. And so he tells this story about how one time he's on an airplane coming back from a short-term mission trip to India, and he's got an empty seat next to him, and he's really excited about that. And then a guy stands up from a seat in front of him and goes to sit down next to him, and he's thinking, oh man, this, this is... This is not the way I envisioned it, but then he sort of goes, well, Lord, is there something that you have going on in here? And he does feel like God is saying, yeah, there's something I want you to share with this guy. So he shares this thing with him, and, and it's, sure enough, it's right on, and the guy can't believe it, and, you know, we're, we're just hearing these stories, and we're, we're really encouraged, and this is, this is kind of amazing stuff. And then he says, now, when we're done with the session today, I want to let you know that we're going to send you all out into the parks or wherever you want to go, and we're going to encourage you to pray for people that you meet. And, you know, maybe God will have a word for them, maybe not. Either way, we want you to go find some strangers and just, just bless them with prayer. Now, I hear that, and, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor and a holy man. And so um, I hear that, and I begin to uh, freak out. It's probably the best way to, like, I'm sorry, what, what did you say that we're going to do? And then I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about these students, and I'm, <clears throat> and I'm thinking, okay, what are they going to think? And I start to think of excuses. Well, this is really a college, it's a, it's a conference for college students, and these guys are only in high school. They're going to be really uncomfortable by this. And then I think, well, their parents surely aren't going to want them going out talking to strangers. So I think, I, I think I'm good. I think I'm, I'm gonna, not going to have to do this. And uh, about that time, one of the students walks up to me during the session and says, um, can we go now? And I'm like, oh good, yeah, they don't want to do it either. They want to leave too. They're kind of uncomfortable. I'm like, and then she says, because we kind of know what he's talking about. We get it. We want to leave now and start praying for people. Can we leave now? And I'm like, we're going to do this. We're going to actually do this. Okay. And so I, you know, of, oh yeah, of course, uh, faith. We've got to have faith here. Um, <clears throat> I convince them to wait until the session is over. But as soon as it's over, they cannot wait to get into the van. And they're like, this is going to be so cool. Where should we go? Should we go to the park? And they're telling me, so um, we want you to drop us off like a block away, you know, like you would do with your parents. Like we don't want, you know, we don't want people to see you around and especially like, getting out of the creeper van. You know, we don't, we don't want that. So sure, yeah, that's, that's fine, you guys. So they get out, <clears throat> they, they go up to people and start talking. They find a bunch of different people to pray for. And uh, I, I was, I was my, my faith was really uh, grown by this group. We actually got to the airport. We get on the plane to fly home. Our flight uh, gets canceled. There's something wrong with the airplane. We go back to the airport 
And the way they divide us up to get us home is that uh, just randomly, me and a student are routed through Dallas. We have to leave immediately. The rest of the team with my other leader are around for another two hours. And of course, they go, well, why don't we do this in the airport? And they're also really excited that I left because the dad isn't going to be like, guys, you, sh- you know, this is after 9-11 and, you know, they probably don't want to talk to strangers in the airport, but I wasn't around to tell them that. And they could kind of do what they want there. So um, they actually went and talked to somebody that worked at the airport and he was very responsive to this and they got his name and I ended up calling him later and talking to him and just praying for him over the phone as well. It was, it was an amazing time. It was not what I expected. And we came back, you know, many of us asking, why is it that we are motivated to do things like this only in these settings? Why don't we take risks more often? Why are we slow to be bold in our faith in our everyday lives? Well, that, that group that was sent out in the streets of Waco, Texas, was perhaps a little something like the group that Jesus sends out in our passage today. We're walking again through Luke, and if you want to turn there and get ready for it, uh, we're in Luke 10 now. We've moved into Luke 10. Last week, Mike looked at one of the most revolutionary uh, passages where he, he really he talks about <clears throat> this commitment, challenges some of the most foundational relationships in our lives, and some excuses that we can bring. Now, when we, we look at Jesus' words and, and, and who Jesus was, we can sometimes, people can fall into two extremes about Jesus. Some people, they don't really pay much attention to his words. All they really focus on is that <clears throat> he came to die. In fact, I heard a pastor say one time, Jesus did not come to be a good moral teacher. He came to die. And I, I well, that is a little extreme. He actually did come to teach and to die. Uh, then the other extreme can be, well, you know, all Jesus was here for was, was just, just to say wonderful things and warm, uh, you know, neat, happy things. And well, that's, that's actually not totally true also because Jesus had some revolutionary things to say. He had some things to say that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, mount up on your, on, you know, sort of put in your home like, um, like on a cross stitch. Like I, I found this in the bargain bin. Um, you know, nobody wants this cross-stitched and put up onto their fireplace. These words of Jesus, let the dead bury their own dead. That's just not, it doesn't really, uh, you know, have that warm, warm, lovey-dovey feeling. So we'll have this for sale later in the auction if you guys want to bid on that. Um, many of his words were piercing. They were, they were countercultural and revolutionary. Well, this week is no exception. Jesus in this passage, is, he's sending out a short-term mission trip. And this is their pre-trip advice before they leave. They're taking Jesus' message that the kingdom of God was at hand, going to places that had never heard about this, doing what Jesus told them to do. And we're going to see that this advice that he gives is more than just for this mission trip. It actually pushes each of us towards a life of mission. Let's read the passage together. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. 
Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of our town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Well, this is specific advice to this team of 72, but he's also setting the expectation for a life of mission. You may have heard the word mission and missional used. It's it's become kind of a buzzword in Christian circles, and it might be a little bit overused, but I actually think it's really helpful because uh, it gets to what we are to be about in life. You, You may have heard Mike talk a lot recently about the fact that God's church doesn't have a mission as much that God has a mission, and that mission has a church. His mission will succeed with or without us. We exist for that, not the other way around. Without mission, there's really no need for a church. If you think about it, the church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. So with that as the background... Uh, there's, there's four observations that I want to make from the passage, and then we're going to look at three implications of the passage. The first observation is that mission is intended to be done in community. Jesus sends them out two by two. So we need partners in our mission, people who will encourage us, who will help us see our blind spots, who will hold us accountable, and who will help us keep our eyes on the right things. Scripture says that as as iron sharpens iron, so one person will sharpen another. We need each other to do ministry. And we are much more likely to be focused on caring about God's mission rather than our own mission if we have a brother or a sister in Christ who's who's there with us, who's holding us accountable, encouraging us to be the the best version of ourselves that we can be. We see this happen in our everyday life as well. Uh, I don't know if some of you... This is why we, we have workout partners. Um, when, when we work out, we, we tend to, to do better when someone's encouraging us. Uh, I will sometimes you know, go for a bike ride and go for on, you know, a longer road bike, and I usually go alone, and I usually kind of set whatever pace kind of feels good, and a lot of times it's whatever is comfortable. And then I'm thinking, I'm doing pretty well. And then this guy will come around me, just kind of sail right by me. Like, you know, sometimes I'll check him out, you know, and if he's like really decked out and his bike is like, you know, 10 grand, I'm like, yeah, whatever, I'm never going to catch a guy. Sometimes I see this guy and he's like, his his bike is really not very nice and he doesn't, I'm in better shape than that guy. And so I, you know, realize, can I catch up with him? And I find out, you know, I, I can. And I find this gear that I didn't really know I have. And I realize I'm not really pushing myself. And if, if I had somebody with me, 
he would make me go faster and, and do better than I even thought that I could. Well, that's true in our lives as well and in, in our mission. So we need each other. And secondly, as they go out, we find that mission can be hard and lonely and an opportunity to rely on God. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He says a number of other things that really uh, aren't particularly encouraging when it comes to the mission. Here, here are some of the things that he says in this, in this section. There's a lot of work to do, and there's not a lot of people to do it. The people in the world are like wolves, and you are like lambs. In other words, wolf food. Verse 10, he, gets, he gives these specific instructions for what you're supposed to do when you get rejected by wiping the dust from your feet. Verse 16, he uses the word reject four different times. This is not, uh, this is not Jesus telling us about how to experience our, our best life now. What's he saying? Well, he's saying when you, when you live out your mission, people are going to reject you. There's going to be more work than you could possibly handle on your own than you could accomplish, and, and they're going to want to figuratively devour you. And, and this, this is what it's supposed to look like. Jesus says, be, be ready for this. Be prepared for this. This is sort of the best case scenario when it comes to your mission. Well, is that what your life feels like? Is, are you facing this kind of opposition and, and challenge? How are the disciples to respond? How are we to respond when, when we come to this? What does Jesus say? Look, a lot of work, not a lot of workers. He says, what I want you to do at that point is ask the Lord to send more workers. In other words, come to me. Rely on me. Come to me in prayer. He wants us to rely on him in our mission. And sometimes when we get overwhelmed in our mission, it may be because we aren't relying on God. We're relying more on ourselves. You know what? I don't know why <laughs> this is the way it is. I don't know why there are more, uh, there's, there's more things to do. There's not enough workers. But Jesus says, look, this, this is how it is. And it actually goes along with, with the theme of Scripture, which Jesus points out in, in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, you know, the way to destruction, a lot of people there, really easy. The way to life, it's hard. It's not a lot of people there. And you may be, be on this road looking around going, okay, I, I'm alone here. Is this right? Am I doing the right thing? Because this is hard and I'm lonely. Jesus says, yeah, that's right. That's right. Keep going. That's what it's supposed to feel like. It's right in the text, too, that people are going to reject the message. And he gives handy tips for what happens when to do that. Wipe the dust off of your feet is a sign against them. We have to expect it. Verse 16, he says, expect that you will experience rejection. He says, whoever rejects you. In other words, when this happens, because it will. But don't take it personally. They may, in fact, kill the messenger. But it's not your fault. You're only held responsible for whether you were a faithful messenger or not. And it's an opportunity to draw close to Jesus, who himself was a person familiar with sorrow and with rejection. So, life of mission, lonely and hard, opportunity to rely on him. Number three is that we're to be focused and content. We're to be focused and content. He says we're not supposed to take extra stuff. We're not supposed to talk to people 
on the road. And what he means there is that people living out their mission are to rely on God for their stuff. And, you know, he says, don't talk to people on the road. In other words, be focused on what you're doing. Some of us need to hear that because we say yes to too much. We're not focused enough in what God has called us to do. And there's so many things to do. And we just say yes. And this may be a word to you to say, you know what? You need to be focused on what you can do and what you're good at, what you can handle and say no to the rest. In verse 6, I want to just pause and say something about this where he says, uh, when you encounter someone, the translation, the, the, the word is literally a son of peace. If you find a son of peace or a man of peace in some translations, someone who promotes peace, um, this is actually, we may not understand what this means, but this is actually um, something that's used in modern missions today. That when people go into a place where there is no known Christian, they say, look for someone who promotes peace. And I heard a story from a friend of mine uh, where this happened. There was a, a short-term team going into a country that's predominantly Muslim and uh, really no known Christians in this area. And uh, they were instructed to go and they were told, you know, women talk to women and men talk to men to sort of honor that, that in the culture there. And this one young woman uh, just sort of couldn't help herself and started talking to her cab driver and uh, just sharing with him about Jesus, and, and uh, turns out he was interested. And so she got his information, and she handed it over to the team leader. The team leader got together with him, went through the scriptures, and um, he put his faith in, in Christ and said, you know, do you, do you know anybody that needs to hear this message? He said, absolutely. And so the next team, uh, next time they got together, he brought five more, and they all went through it together. And then he said, now I want you guys to go and tell 10 of your friends. Fast forward three years later, there's 5,000 believers in this community because what happened? They found the man of peace that Jesus talked about. This risk that this, that this young woman took to go on this trip and to be bold, not even follow the instructions correctly, but uh, they found the man of peace and, and uh, we see that the gospel spread there. But she was focused. She was focused on what she needed to do. We were to be focused and then content. He says, you know, don't, don't, don't move around from house to house. Don't worry about your stuff because I'll take care of that. We need to be content and not worry about all that other stuff when we're on our mission. One more observation, which is that we are responsible for what we know about Jesus. These verses where he, Jesus says, woe to these places, it's a little, little troubling. And what's happening there is he's saying, these are the towns that he's, he's been ministering in, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. He says, woe to you. Because you've seen so much evidence. You've seen these miracles. You've seen me here. And he references Tyre and Sidon. These were two towns that were prophesied against in the Old Testament. He says, you know, these towns that had seen what you have seen, if they'd seen that, they would have repented long ago. So those of us that have seen the goodness of God, we, we have this, this, this clear, uh, you know, experience with who God is, we're, we have to do something about that. Jesus says this a different way in chapter 12, verse 48. He says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. If you've, if you've seen the goodness of God, you have no excuse if you don't do something about it. The greater the revelation, the greater the responsibility. 
So where do we go with this? Why, why is this important to our lives today? Well, there's three implications that I want to bring out from the text. And the first is this. We are either the mission field or the mission force. Some people want to divide uh, the world into three categories. They think you know, there's those who don't know God. Uh, there's those who have, have put their faith in, in Christ. And then there's the, the people that uh, are sent out to go tell other people about that. It's three categories. Well, the Bible doesn't divide it up that way. There's actually two categories. There are those who, who don't know uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then there's those that do. There's those that have, that have been transformed by the word of Jesus, have received the Spirit, and are now commissioned to go out and tell others about him, to share that love with group number one. You know, some are called to do that in, a, in what we would say a dramatic way, and they, they leave their, their, where they live, and they learn another language, they move to someplace else, and we call them missionaries, which is kind of a shame because it would suggest that, that we aren't, you know, we don't have a mission, those that, that don't do that. But that is absolutely not the case. We are the 72 today. Jesus has commissioned all who know him to go tell about him. And if you've, if you've put your faith in Jesus, then you move from category one into category two. You're someone who is now entrusted with sharing this message by proclaiming the good news and engaging in good works, which we talk a lot, a lot about here, which leads to my second implication, which is that there are opportunities for living out our mission all around us. You know, again, some of those are obvious. You go to, a, to another country, people that are, um, you know, paid to, to, to be ministers of the gospel, that seems more obvious. And, and reading a passage like this can be intimidating because you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how that applies to me and the, wiping the dust off my feet. I don't really feel comfortable doing that. But some of this is that some of us have so insulated ourselves from people who don't know God that we don't feel like we have opportunity to share our faith. You, you say, you know, I, I couldn't do that because I don't know anybody who doesn't already know about God. And to those people, I would say, you have to do something about that. You have to take action in order to change that. And it might be as simple as, you know, joining a gym or, or, or finding something that you already like to do and inviting others uh, to, to join you in that. For years, I would play basketball at a, a, a gym around here uh, one day a week, a lot of it was motivated because I like to play basketball. But then I, I realized, well, this is a great chance for me to be around people who are outside the walls of this church. I mean, I, I love where I work. Uh, it's a great place to work. But most of the people that I work with already have a relationship with Christ for obvious reasons. I mean, Pastor Mike, is, he's close, guys. He's, you keep praying for him, but... Um, Many of you know, uh, some of you know, that, that I have a background in theater and uh, did that in college and uh, really felt called into ministry, never thought I would go back to it. And seven years ago, I got this kind of chance, fell on my lap to, to be involved in a play. It was an amazing experience. I got been able to do a few other things, mostly with my kids since then. Um, but uh, never really know when this chance is going to come up again. And over as I was heading into my, my you know, kind of winter break time and the kids are off school, I'd written in my journal, 
said, you know, Lord, last, the last few breaks, I've been feeling like during this time, I'm just a little lethargic, a little directionless. And, you know, help me to not feel that way. Well, a couple days later, I get an email from a guy that I had done this play with seven years ago. He said, you know, I'm doing this two-week play festival, and we need someone to come play a Catholic priest in our play. Would you be interested in this? I know, typecasting, I'm, I'm fine with it. Um, and I, I looked at that, and I looked at this prayer that I had prayed, and I just thought, wow, well, you know, the easy thing at that point would be to say, ah, there's a lot of, a lot of, lot of time to give up. And, but I looked at my calendar, I realized, you know, I really, I really can do that. And so I agreed to. And uh, it, was, it was a great experience. It was incredible for me to, again, be just outside of my normal routine, being around people who are more than likely not around a lot of people who are followers of Jesus and making connections with them. No, I, I, there weren't any dramatic conversions as a result of that two-week experience, but there were relationships that were made there. I was able to use the gifts that God's given me to, to glorify Him and and to be a part of something that was fun, and I was able to, in, in a small way, live out my mission uh, in that time. So there's opportunities for mission all around us, and many of them are unique to you. Some of you, you know, I want to encourage you to, to if you've never been out of the country, maybe you need to do that. There, there are a lot of opportunities that we have through the church and you'll find that when you do something like that, something going on a, on a trip to, to India or to Ghana or whatever it is, uh, that you find just kind of when you come back here that life is different here. And you, you have eyes to see and uh, to see the, the stuff that, that needs to be done around here. I just got back last month, took a group of guys, uh, father-son trip down to build a home for family in Mexico. And it, it was an amazing experience for that weekend that we did that, but also I think for all of us, just a way to ask ourselves, okay, how can I be involved in mission when I get back? A lot of opportunities, of course, locally around here with uh, North Chicago, a place with a whole lot of need nearby. Our partnership with the schools there and North Chicago Community Partners um, easy, easy ways for you to get involved practically um, in helping someone in need, living out this mission. For some of you, you know, just some other ideas. You, you may uh, have been blessed with a strong marriage, and you may be in relationships with people who, who don't have strong marriages. And maybe it's, it's your willingness as, as someone opens up to you about their marriage and says, you know, yeah, marriage isn't working. And may I, you know, I, just, I just married the wrong person. This is your opportunity to, to, to share with them, you know, just some, some helpful advice to help save their marriage. Tell them about a book to read, offer to meet with them, invite them to, you know, recommend a Christian counselor, alpha marriage. Uh, that can be a, a token of God's love for them if you can be a part of, of, of helping them. These people may, may have no interest in hearing what you have to say about Jesus, but if you can help them in this way, maybe they'll, that, that's the thing that says, why, why do you care so much about me? It will open up a door for you to share with them. Maybe it's in your home. You know, maybe uh, some of you have the ability to open up your home to somebody who needs a place to live. And uh, you can live out your mission by, by doing that, stepping out of your comfort zone and, and you know, letting that, that spare bedroom be a blessing to somebody. Many of you already have. And of course, in your, your work, 
Some of you, when you go to work, this is just a thing you do just to, to make your money so that you can go home and, and live your life. Well, no, God, is, God has put you there for a reason. Do you have eyes to see that you can live out your mission in your work, that God has called you to that work in the same way that God has called me to be in ministry? He's called you to do whatever it is that you are doing. You can live out your mission in your work. The question is, are you willing? Do you have those eyes to look around to see the people in need? We, we can get pretty good at avoiding mission, mission. We can get pretty good at finding excuses as to why we don't need to worry about living out that mission. There's opportunities everywhere if we're willing to look for them and not avoid them. And finally, number three, point number three is that we are either moving towards mission or away from it. We're either moving towards mission or we're moving away from it. Many of you know the story of King David. Here's a guy who the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. He was special. He had every reason to succeed. And as you know, he had a major moral failure, really at the height of his success. And the Bible itself, in a subtle way, explains what it was that may have led to this failure. In 2 Samuel 11, it says this. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. See, David was supposed to be there too. It was the time when kings go off to war. He was supposed to be there on his mission with his people. And he realized, you know what, do, do, I, do I really have to go? Do they really need me out there? I got Joab here. I can send him. He wasn't focused on his mission. And so he then had lots of downtime to look around the neighborhood and see this beautiful woman that captivated him that he had an affair with and led, on, led to just lots and lots more trouble. Are any of you outsourcing your mission? Do you think, oh, you know, there are people for that. We've got pastors, and I, I support a missionary. That, that's, that's my mission. I, I can sort of take some, make someone else take care of that for me. Do you have excuses as to why you, you can't do what God might be calling you to do? Different question. Do you find yourself stuck in patterns of sin that you, you can't seem to get free of? Well, it may be that you're finding out what David found out the hard way. Because you aren't living your life on mission, the trajectory of your life is off. And the center of your life is out of whack. And if you're not living your life purposefully moving towards mission, you'll find very quickly that you are moving away from it. The Christian life is what it's, it's meant to be when we're on mission. And, you know, you may, some people say, you know, I tried that Christian thing, I accepted Jesus, and yeah, you know, it just didn't really work for me. Well, it may be that you didn't really fully understand it. Because in reality, our mission a lot of times is just, it's just focused on us. We sort of give lip service to God's mission, but it's really about us. We we find that, that our mission becomes making money, acquiring stuff, finding the perfect spouse, getting the perfect body, raising the perfect kids. All of these very easily can become the mission of our lives. But that's not 
God's mission. God's mission is to live in light of the kingdom of God, to share that news with others by what we do and what we say. Our mission is an active mission. Jesus says, go, I'm sending you out. The the Great Commission, go, make disciples of all nations. It's an active mission. If we're stagnant, we're actually moving away. Many of you know the movie, uh, The Incredibles. Fantastic animated movie. One of the all-time greats. Mr. Incredible is a superhero. And at the beginning of the movie, we see all these incredible things he does. He does all this great stuff. Well, because of lawsuits, people start suing the superheroes because, you know, they're, they're doing things that they weren't asked to do and all this stuff. Well, they decide, you know what, we got to shut this down. No more being super. And they make Mr. Incredible uh, get just a, like a desk job and kind of stop doing what he's doing. He is miserable. And on this one particular day, uh, he gets fired because he, you know, goes crazy at work and, and he, they, they fire him. So he goes home and he has to face his wife now and he doesn't know what he's doing. So this, we're going to watch a clip right now uh, with him getting home and pulling into the driveway. And this, this little boy who's watching him before saw him pick up this car. And so we're going to see what happens here. Well, what are you waiting for? I don't know. Something amazing, I guess. Me too, kid. We're all waiting for something amazing to happen. You know? We are. We've got this expectation of life for amazing things to happen. We can't choose what the amazing things are. But the way out of a life of meaninglessness and into a life of meaning is through a commitment to living out God's mission. That's what will get us to experience something amazing. And that's what changes then for Mr. Incredible. He goes inside, and he's got a mission now. He's got this mission that has been given to him, and everything changes. All of a sudden, he's, he's excited, he's fired up, and he's, he's working out, and things in his marriage are better. Why? Because now he's got purpose. He's got a mission. He was made to do amazing things. It's the same with us. We were made to experience joy. And when we don't find it, we will seek that, that excitement in other ways. We'll look for it on the internet. We'll look for it in adulterous relationships. We'll, we'll look for it through just buying as much stuff as we think we can buy until we think that we're finally going to be happy. When we're living on mission, we don't need any of that stuff. I want to close with an epitaph. An epitaph is a, a poem written about someone after their death. And this is taken from a, a book of fictional epitaphs called Spoon River Anthology, written by a guy named Edgar Lee Masters. This one in particular has always spoken to me. And imagine that this person is speaking as he's looking at his own tombstone. And there on his tombstone is a, is a chiseled out of the marble, is a, a picture of a boat Uh, in its harbor with its sail down. Here's what he says. I have studied many times the marble which was chiseled for me, a boat with a furled sail at rest in a harbor. In truth, it pictures not my destination, but my life. 
For love was offered me, and I shrank from its disillusionment. Sorrow knocked at my door, but I was afraid. Ambition called to me, but I dreaded the chances. Yet all the while, I hungered for meaning in my life. And now I know that we must lift the sail and catch the winds of destiny wherever they drive the boat. To put meaning in one's life may end in madness, but life without meaning is the torture of restlessness and vague desire. It is a boat longing for the sea and yet afraid. We all have these boats inside of us that that need to get out of the harbor. Those sails need to come up. God offers us a chance to be a part of his mission, which is, is to participate fully, actively in the kingdom of God and invite others to do the same. Take advantage of it. Live it out. As we finish here today, I'm going to pray as we always do, but I'm going to pray that God would move, would speak perhaps even now in a still voice to you about, about this, about your life. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we do ask that you would be present now. Lord, we pray that you would be encouraging us in in what opportunities you've given us that are right before us that we can take advantage of, that we can lift that sail and, and, and get the wind of that Holy Spirit to come and to move us out of our harbor and into our mission. Lord, for your glory, so that, so that the world may know who you are, so that the kingdom of God may advance. Lord, speak to us, challenge us, strengthen us, give us boldness. In Jesus' name. Amen.